Welcome to Innovating Music, a podcast from the UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music and the UCLA Center for Music Innovation. I'm your host, Dr. Gigi Johnson. On this week's podcast, please welcome Day Bogan. Day is a serial entrepreneur. He is a founder of music and artist marketing agency Maven Promo, co-founder of Tune Registry, which he'll talk about, which is a next-generation music rights and metadata management platform. He's worked with lots of startups, independent companies. You may have read Day in anything from Hypebot to CD Baby's DIY Musician blog. You may have met him at many great industry conferences. He'll be working with us coming up in summer of 2016 on our new Music Innovation Summer Institute, and we welcome him to the podcast. Day, I am very glad that you're with us today. You wear so many hats. Can you start us off explaining some of the different hats you wear? I own two startups, with, a, with one of them with a team of music attorneys and technologists. It's called Tune Registry. And Tune Registry is a music rights and metadata platform. We're really trying to address the fragmented music rights registrations process, as well as the problem with music metadata and the incompleteness and the challenge of distributing music metadata to the digital music ecosystem as a whole. That's Tune Registry. My other startup is Maven Promo, and we're focused on music marketing. One of the things we do is a program called Music and Retail, where we help independent artists get exposure for their by playing in retail stores in the U.S. Outside of that, I do wear a number of hats as a consultant and a mentor and a writer. I sometimes contribute to uh, music websites, one of them being Hypebot, where I tend to write on music technology, music business, some of the challenges music tech entrepreneurs face in the ever-changing music business. I've written about the kind of the DIY musician, which has been syndicated to websites like CD Baby, Musician Blog, and Bands on the Budget and Indie on the Move. And then I consult with a number of music tech startup founders and teams who are creating really cool consumer apps around music and music access and social elements of, of, of music and, and interaction. And I just you know, kind of keep myself busy on projects, whether I'm mentoring or uh, consulting, just to kind of stay in the know of what's happening with the music and technology and innovation and how legislative changes and, and industry custom changes in terms of best practices and rights assignments and licensing is affecting the overall digital music industry. I call myself a music data nerd, and I think that my work represents that, you know, working with how music and rights and licensing and royalties are interrelated. What in the world do you mean by innovation? So what I mean by innovation is not necessarily new technologies. I think there's a lot of new cool technologies being developed um, around the world. The ways in which music is being exploited, and I say that in a nice way, <laughs> the way kind of young entrepreneurs are creating new products around music exploitation, whether it's consumption or sharing music or creating communities around music, you know, new apps, new platforms that are generating buzz or, or, or early adopters. And I think they're cool. Whether or not they all do well in terms of growth is a different conversation. You know, when I look at innovation, I look at new products and services around music, whether it's direct-to-fan or peer-to-peer um, around music. That's kind of what I mean by innovation. 
So what drives this innovation? Why are we at this time of innovation in the business? I think there's a segment, a very niche segment of the music fan world where they have access to tools to create technologies um, or to create apps or resources to do that. And they have ideas. I think we've always, as consumers, have had ideas of how we'd like to use music, but never really had the tools or resources to test those ideas or bring those ideas to life. We're seeing growth, for example, even at the college level. Um, I, I mentor a lot of college students who are working on music products, music tech products, based on you know being frustrated with not getting the feature sets they want out of the big platforms everyone uses, or have an idea around some very narrow, specific feature that becomes really sticky because other kids like it. As technology or the ways in which we create technology is becoming more friendly to not super technical people, there's a, a window of opportunity for people to test ideas that are doing well in some respect, being downloaded in, in, in iTunes and Google Play and being talked about in music blogs and on college campuses. So I think that because consumers are becoming more tech-savvy and becoming more knowledgeable, and because technology is becoming more accessible, we're seeing more music tech products coming to market or at least in some kind of a sandbox version of what they're trying to do. So are you one of those less than technical people? Absolutely. I am totally the non-tech guy in all the tech scenes. <laughs> I've become more and more tech-savvy. I can build a website and I can develop an app using tools like Caspio. And you know, these are for non-coders to develop web applications, pretty robust database-driven web applications where you can create rules. I mean, obviously, there's a level of sophistication you need to have in terms of understanding logic. How does databases you know, logically communicate with each other? It has become fairly easy for uh, someone who has a general knowledge of HTML and CSS and some understanding of user um, experience and what, what a user interface is to be able to build something within a few weeks. I mean, there's a lot of courses online. There's ways to kind of teach yourself. There's obviously a lot of programs, for example, General Assembly here in LA, and where you know, they're teaching kind of the average person how to build mobile applications. Now, in the music industry, obviously, we have other challenges beyond just being, building the, the product in terms of licensing it. That's kind of you know, where my role come in when I help a lot of the music tech startup founders who are not music business people understand how their cool toy, if you will, or, or app, or, or sometimes they're serious. I mean, obviously, there are some, some of them are really serious about what they're doing, what the intellectual property implications are for those products. Well, let's come back to a couple of things here. So what is metadata? Uh, metadata is the data about the data. The data itself is actually the song itself, right? Right. So the song is the data that the consumer wants, but the information about that data, the metadata, is describing that. So track artist, song title, some information about the musical elements so, such as the beats per minute or the key. There's maybe some more granular information like pitch and frequency when it comes to our, what we call acoustic fingerprinting. So metadata is information about data. And when we think of, of metadata, well, I, I think most people don't think about metadata, to be honest, um, which is one of the challenges in the digital music industry right now is there's so much information you can provide about a data asset like a song. The music industry has a challenge with getting the complete 
information about that song and then transferring that information from one database to another and communicating between databases in, in a way that's consistent, talking about the same data. There's tons of rules. It gets kind of techy, but there's a lot of rules around the metadata in terms of the choreography of communicating data, the data structures, labeling, disambiguation, you know, all, all these rules and, and, and challenges that makes, for example, managing rights and communicating with the, the digital music services challenges where you see you know, Spotify potentially having legal issues with, with labels or Pandora because there's some challenge, some, something fell through, whether it was a licensing issue or, or if it was an inability to accurately communicate the performance of songs and recordings and tracking that back to the underlying rights owner, which metadata is important to, to do that. So when you talk about choreography earlier... What were you meaning by that? Is that the kind of patterns and the dance moves between the companies or between databases or what? Yeah, so in choreography, we're looking at the way data sets are moved from one database and one company to another database. So let's say, for an example, Sony sending um, information about its recordings to a digital music service. There's a certain way in which that information has to be sent. And in choreography, it's about databases talking to each other electronically what information is sent first what is the acknowledgement how does how does the response happen for that acknowledge for that receipt of, of information um how does the sender receive uh, acknowledgement that the information has been received if there's an error in that uh, data how is that error message sent to the sender so it's it's a back it's how do they how does the databases communicate back and forth I think you were quite right when we started out in saying that you're a music data nerd. Very, very appropriately. <laughs> How did you get to be such a music data nerd? And why is there opportunities in being a music data nerd in the current environment? I don't really know how I got to be a data nerd. Uh, I mean, I you know, started my interest in the music industry as a uh, aspiring recording artist and have been in some groups and you know, pursued the industry as just like any other independent artist. What do you play? I'm a vocalist, and I'm a really bad pianist. <laughs> Although I, I've always said I'll go back and, and take lessons. That or guitar. But I started my career as a artist, so on the creative side. And then my career shifted to the business side when I started representing artists. And I... Eventually started my own indie label, had an indie publishing company, had an artist management company, and we were small, we were independent, but we were doing some really cool things. We had a significant roster of two dozen X managers across the country and internal marketing support and tour support people. So we had a small kind of independent music community that I represented. And during that time, I was also the VP of marketing and strategic partnership of a retail chain, where part of my role was overseeing our music division, which I kind of created. And that role included digital music. Uh, we were selling music online, having to obviously work with labels. Uh, we worked with the One Stop, which, which is an aggregator of mechanical, uh, or ag aggregator of, of, of retail distribution rights from multiple labels. And I also had, I handled physical music sales in stores. So my hands were involved in different aspects of the music industry, from publishing to, to recorded music. And one of the challenges I saw was consistent on all sides was communicating information data, metadata, whether I was communicating information about you know, or, or receiving information about releases, whether I was communicating information about rights to a rights society, 
uh, whether I was communicating information about my catalog to a potential licensee. The problem with data is that the way in which we store data and the, the breadth of that data is inconsistent. For example, I might store 20 fields of information about a song, whereas another company might want 80 fields of information about a song. When you have that and you multiply it by a thousand songs in a catalog you know, or tens of thousands of songs in a catalog, you have a lot of missed data. You know, I've started to look at why isn't there a technology out there that's affordable to the independent music community. I think that there's technology out there for the big major labels and publishers, but I don't think most of the independent indie guys can afford thousands of dollars in software to manage catalogs um, and to store the right data, you know, which is the frustration that I face and which is kind of you know, part of the reason why we created Tune Registry, which, you know, which, is, which has a really robust music business catalog. I kind of kept, you know, going with the with the data thing and doing research and having conversations with colleagues of mine at Right Societies, at metadata services like Grace Note and Rovi, and just you know through research, learning that there's a lot of fragmentation still, regardless of all the innovation happening in the music industry. There's still a lot of fragmentation, and there's some reasons for that. I think there's a commercial reason for fragmentation, um, or, or or better description is that there's a there's a profitable reason for fragmentation that I think is going to continue to challenge the music industry. Why is this opportunity here now? What does this really do for businesses? Why is there this opportunity for change that you're taking advantage of? Why now? Why now? Because, because digital is taking over in terms of growth and revenue in the music industry. Digital is, is neck and neck. I think actually it surpassed physical sales. In terms, in terms of digital of revenue, yeah, in terms of dollars. So, and if you look at platforms like YouTube, where billions of people are using you know, are using YouTube and their streams on YouTube, um, social media site, over the top platforms uh, like Netflix and Hulu, which are creating music opportunities for indie bands because there's music licensing opportunities in, in their original shows. Um, there's a lot of cool digital things happening. It's a kind of it's kind of like the new frontier. You know, no one really owns it really. Or no one owns it significantly enough where no one you know, there's no there's, there's there's such a barrier to entry that no one can enter. There's cool products being created like Buzz Angle that is uh, kind of disrupting how we look at music charts and reports. You looked at Next Big Sound, uh, which was a which was a platform uh, developed several years ago around um, data and 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 artist you know artist data, and that was acquired by Pandora. And there's some other you know, cool platforms that are being created by entrepreneurs um, that says, here's data. We're going to create a way to visualize that data. And we're going to create a system to help artists and labels and, and managers to create business decisions around that data. Because digital and Internet is you know, creating infinite opportunities for music use and consumption and distribution, there are opportunities around data for entrepreneurs to, to create products to understand that data around consumption and understand that data around distribution and you know whatnot. So what has been your biggest surprise then as being an innovator, as innovating in music? What surprised you? What surprised me right now is looking at, and this is completely off the wall, but blockchain and, and, and how... What there, is blockchain? I'm not an expert in blockchain, so I am. I don't have the best description. I, I'm, I'm, to be honest, I'm still learning about how blockchain music is being applied. I mean, how blockchain is being applied to music. But my understanding of blockchain is that it, it relates to um, cryptocurrency, that whole world of the Bitcoin world. The Bitcoin world, yeah. 
it's kind of it's uh, to me it's kind of like the digital revolution of open source it's the next digital revolution of open source open source meaning you know technologies and that is open to anyone to be able to use and to add on to or to adapt or or, or to mo- uh, modify so blockchain is multiple layers of information packaged into a, a kind of a digital or virtual asset that has many owners but no one owner if you You'll will have to explain that I know it's very confusing. I think people are still trying to understand it. Even if you look at the music conferences, we're we're having early conversations about blockchain and and how it's being used in, in music. I am not an expert in blockchain, so I'm still learning how's blockchain being used in music. But here's one example: there's an artist named um, Emotion Heat who uh, released a recording. I forgot the name of this recording. It's a recording where when you go to the website to listen to her song, you can identify the individual contributors to this to the song like the, the guitarist and the bass player or the, the drummer um the vocal background vocalist um and it and it kind of links from the finished product being the recording you can link back to the individual contributor and when that recording is purchased for a dollar if you will that dollar can be broken down to those individual contributors as opposed to having go having to go through the standard supply chain the recorded music supply chain from retail shop to distributor, from distributor to label, from label to artist, to, from artists to um, contributors. So in blockchain, it allows, I think, music innovators to create mu- digital music services, whether it's music download stores or digital streaming, where um, the consumer can listen to a song the same way they do on any music service, but on the back end, the blockchain technology, is it's kind of like, again, the, the, the word chain is, you know, there's different... Um, cheeks in the chain there each contributor is being accredited in real time for the performance of the song um, so kind of bypassing the uh, traditional route of how royalties flow from a consumer to the, the the music industry and the and the duration that it takes for that to happen it can be up to a year for my play today on pandora to get into the pockets of the writer so with blockchain it's trying to solve a lot of problems with fragmentation by creating these new methods and, and new containers for um, for music information that is consumer friendly. But again, it's it's kind of complex information. I'm still learning more about it. I saw some cool demonstrations at South by Southwest in March of 2016. I think that there's going to continue to be some cool uh, projects built around blockchain and 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 the music industry. I think, for example, here's a future feature that could take place in Spotify, for example. With metadata, a consumer searches metadata, for example, I'm searching by artist in um, Spotify's system to find you know, Maroon 5 album or Beyonce's album. But with blockchain, since it's crediting, it, it, since it can credit multiple uh, contributors, I could search, for example, all songs or all recordings where a specific guitarist played on and then listen to music that way, um, as opposed to just listening to music based on the artist. And then, in addition, that, that guitarist could be better credited for their works. And better uh, compensated. And better well. compensated. There's, there's an organization called um, AFM, which is American Federation of Musicians. AFM and SAG-AFTRA Fund has the... I'm, I'm sorry, AFM and SAG-AFTRA has the Intellectual Property Rights Distribution Fund, and what they do is pay out royalties to background vocalists and session musicians 
but it's really hard to track them down because they're depending on published recording credits from, from recordings, whereas blockchain can address that issue through technology crediting the individual contributors. So it has to be, obviously, there's a lot of uh, research that's going into it. A lot of development has to go into it. But blockchain um, seems like a really cool new way of addressing the music fragmentation issue and especially the compensation problems that's caused by fragmentation. What are two or three companies other than the blockchain firms that are changing music right now that you're intrigued or excited about but you're not working with? There is, oh, well, I mean, it's hard because I, I, I see so many startups and companies uh, at these conferences that I think are really cool. Now what conferences? So how do you feed Dave Bogan's brain? You have so much diverse things in there. How do you create all the inputs for you to be able to help and work with these startup companies? So, yeah, I mean, that's a great question. In the last few years, I've been interested in the music conference circuit, if you will. And then there's, there's, so the ones I've been going to are South by Southwest, the music conference, and then this year, in, in March 2016, I went to Interactive as well. The International Music Festival Conference, I was able to moderate a panel on festival technologies with some really cool people on that panel. There's a conference called Collision Conference that is, is kind of integrating technology and entertainment and content and and you know, music being, a, being an element of that. The San Francisco Music Tech Summit uh, is, a, is a really great one I love going to, uh, which brings together a ton of you know, kind of startup music tech companies from around the world, as well as established music uh, companies um, and, and the various kind of people who work around that space, professionals like lawyers and representatives and whatnot. I have been heavily involved in trying to attend conferences. Um, sometimes I'm able to speak at conferences or moderate panels. Uh, sometimes I'm there to cover a conference. I've covered a few for HypeBot. And then that role, I'm trying to identify some of the cool new startups and I write about them. And then I do, I do a lot of reading. I mean, I, I'm subscribed to a lot of mailing lists from Digital Music News to Billboard to uh, you know Music Tech Policies. There's, there's, there's a ton of different websites out there that just have information. Music Business Worldwide was a really good one I get every morning. And these are, you know, kind of aggregated information about what's happening in the music ecosystem, whether it's a digital thing or changes at the personnel level. It all trickles down to kind of seeing uh, or seeing what's happening in the music industry. So what two to three companies are you seeing that you're intrigued or excited about? I mean, I know you're familiar with Buzz Angle, obviously, um, but I'm super interested in Buzz Angle. I, I like what they're doing. Um, you, know, you know, my role is all about creating a platform. You know, Tune Retro is all about creating a, a platform for uh, simplifying fragmentation, and, and they're doing the same thing, but from the, uh, you know, they, they created a platform where you can essentially create over 250,000 custom charts or reports around music data, and that data comes from digital retailers, it comes from streaming services, it comes from social media, um, they're aggregating all this data and allow the user to create real-time charts. And that's very disruptive because you look at this, the standard kind of charts out there that, are, that have always been the, you know, informing uh, business decisions and informing labels um, and artist managers about how well or how poorly music is doing in the marketplace. But there's some time lag you know, between when that information is generated and when that information is accessible. And the bus angle is saying we think information should be accessible instantly. 
um, or at least within 24 hours of that information being generated. So I think you know that's really cool what they're doing. There's a company called Sanzia who um, I met at South by Southwest V2V in July of 2015, who are doing really cool things with music and kind of medicine they, uh, and technology. They've created um, a platform, kind of a, a smart desk for people with autism to be able to access the Internet and access content that is friendly to their, their sensory challenges they're looking at music and how sound can be uh, adapted to uh, you know, for people with autism and, 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 and other, I think, other categories that they're trying to tackle as well. There's some other companies I'm really excited about. I'm not sure if I can talk about them yet. <laughs> well, by the time someone's maybe heard this, we'll, we'll have actually seen them in action. Let me just tune you to then the last question, which is what last thoughts do you have? What would you want to share about innovation and the directions of music innovation and how we are innovating music to share with our wonderful audience out there in the ether. So my last thoughts about innovation is that as an artist at heart, I think innovation has, you know, the people behind innovation has to remember the artists. Because I think one of the things that we've gotten away from, and, and I'm a tech guy now, even though I don't code anything, one of the things I think we got away from is the fact that these are real people creating content that should be sustainable for their lives. And the more we create innovation, a lot of times that includes access for free or at a discount. And there's an overall devaluation of music that's kind of been uh, a part of innovation. I think it's important to balance creating cool new products and services and platforms for consumers, creating really innovative, disruptive technologies for B2B, business-to-business within the music industry, but not forgetting that there's you know, someone or someones who you know, took their time out and created the music that we are sharing and downloading and creating communities around. You know, there's a balancing act that needs to take place between the value of music and the freedom of innovation, the Copyright Act being at the heart of that. And there is legislation that's kind of on the table that's addressing some of those issues. As future young entrepreneurs and current entrepreneurs of any age really continue down the path of music tech innovation, I think uh, making sure that there's some accountability to the creators has to be front of mind, especially when you're thinking about your revenue projections and your profit margins. Um, as a consultant, I work with a lot of startups and have this conversation with them about their growth projections and, um, and revenue, but then we start talking about licensing and royalties, that's, you know, they become almost you know, deer in headlights. It's important to understand that technology, uh, music technology without, would not exist without music. And it's important because music would not exist without the men and women out there creating the music. And as a former aspiring artist, I truly believe that, uh, that any innovator has to have an understanding and a, an accountability towards you know, musician rights and uh, artist rights and, and, the copyright, and the copyright holders that they've assigned those rights to, like labels and publishers. Well, Dave, thank you very much for joining us today. And Dave's also working with us in 2016 at the UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music with our new Music Innovation Summer Institute. He's one of our faculty for the summer. And glad to have you on board bringing this great point of view to the school. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Great, thank you. Well, that wraps up this podcast. 
Many thanks to the UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music and the UCLA Center for Music Innovation for being our hosts of this ongoing series. You can subscribe to us in all the usual places, or you can come find us at innovation.schoolofmusic.ucla.edu. Join us again to follow the other adventures that we will be tracking down in innovating music. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. You have found one of our adventures now in the Marimel Podcast Network. You can find our shows everywhere that you listen to podcasts. We've got Amplify Music Conversations from the Amplify Music Conferences during the pandemic, Creative Innovators, and now Innovating Music. If you're interested in following up with us in any of these shows, please reach out on our websites, and you can find those in the show notes.